chapter 6, Luke chapter 6. We are continuing our studies in the life of Jesus, and we're on the topic of Jesus' prayer life. We're looking at Jesus and the prayers that he made, how he made them, where he made them, why he made them, just the different prayers that Jesus made. We started with starting with prayer. Of course, what a great place to start at the beginning. Jesus began everything with prayer, as we should begin everything we do, starting our day with prayer or whatever it might be that we're doing. So start it with prayer. Then the second study was solitary prayer, that he got alone to pray just to have that alone time with the Father. This morning, we're going to look at decision-making prayer. You know, praying to make those big, important decisions in our life. Let's look at verses 12 through 13 of chapter 6, and then we'll uh, look at how it speaks to us. And Luke says, Now it came to pass in those days that he, that is Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, Jesus called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. So here in our text, we have an example of Jesus spending time with God before making one of the most important decisions of his lifetime. And if there was any man born of a woman that could live without prayer, it was surely the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he was all man and he was all God. But none of Jesus's prayers, in none of them did he ever have to confess sin because he knew no sin. He was sinless. He didn't need to examine his heart each night. And he didn't need to pray to be protected from sin every morning. Yet there, was a man, there never was a man who spent so much time in prayer as Jesus did. Jesus spent the whole night in prayer here in our text. That was because he was about to choose his 12 apostles from among the many disciples who were following him. A disciple is a learner. It's a student. It's a trainee. While an apostle is a chosen messenger sent with a special commission. Jesus had many disciples who were following him. So, again, why did Jesus pray all night? Like I said, Jesus had many disciples that followed him, but, he only, but only 12 of them were going to be handpicked to be disciples. Well, why did Jesus pray all night? Well, for one thing, he knew that the opposition against him, the hostility against him, was growing. And it would finally result in his death on the cross, his crucifixion, his bloody sacrifice. So he prayed for strength as he faced that bumpy road that still lied ahead. But he also wanted the Father's guidance in choosing his 12 apostles. Because, you see, the future of the church rested with the 12 apostles. Now, keep in mind that one of the 12 apostles would also end up betraying him. And Jesus knew who that was before, again, uh, the very start. Our Lord Jesus had real emotions. Like I said, he was all man. He, was, he hungered. He thirsted. He felt. He cried, the Bible says. And it was through prayer that Jesus made this very difficult choice. And the men that were called were very interesting. They were a very interesting group of men. 
And they illustrate what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, where Paul said, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Like I said, this was an interesting group of men. And if you look around, we're an interesting group of people. And yet God chose us. Why? Not because we were wise, not because we were mighty, not because we were noble. We're the weak things. And that's why he chose us, because it shows what God did in our life. People can't say, oh, there's no way they could have done that. You're right. Only God could do it. God could only be the only one who brings those, those great changes to our life. So think about it. If God could use these 12 men that he chose and he can use us in this room, then you know what? He could, he could definitely choose and use anyone. Seven of these men were probably fishermen. One was a tax collector. The other four, as far as their vocations are concerned, we don't know what they did for a living. We do know that they were ordinary men, very ordinary men, just like we are here. Their personalities were different, just like many of ours are. Yet Jesus called them to be with him. Jesus called these 12 men to learn from him. Jesus called these 12 men to go out to represent him. How many times when we need to pray the most are the distractions the most and the worst? In those days, notice it starts out in verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days. Now in those days, speak of some very distracting days for Jesus. And there were two major distractions at this time in his life. First of all, there was the ministry of Jesus. His ministry was very involved. He was very busy. It kept him very busy. So it it would distract him from his praying. Secondly, there was the cruelty to Jesus by his critics. I mean, and that hasn't changed. And it's, it's the same today. People are mean to Christ. They're critical of Christ. They say horrible things about Christ today. And in Christ's day, like I said, that's where it all started. That was also, that would also be a distraction for Jesus. And this meanness, this cruelty was very distracting for him. It was a serious hindrance to the work that he was doing. But even so, with the great distractions in his life, it did not take away from his prayer time. We need to do the same thing. We have to do the same. When the distractions are many and when the distractions are great, we need to do the best that we can to pray. And it will take all of our effort to pray when the distractions are many and when the distractions are great. In those days speaks of all the events that distracted Jesus. But it especially speaks here about the busy traveling ministry in Galilee that Jesus that Jesus had said earlier in Capernaum was his calling. See, his his ministry was one traveling about the country preaching the gospel. So his work kept him very busy. He taught, he preached, he healed. So it would make it very hard for him to get away from prayer, to spend that time alone with God. Even in the middle of our work for God. 
we're often hindered in our prayer life because we can allow the things that we're doing to take away the time that we need to spend with God in prayer. So we can understand if a secular job becomes a big hindrance to prayer. But we have to recognize that a busy schedule working for the Lord, doing the Lord's work, can also work against our prayer times. If we're not diligent to be faithful in prayer and make the time. We have to make the time to spend with God. You know, we all have the same amount of time in a day. We all have 24 hours in a day. But you know what? It's what we do with that time. It shows what our priorities are. And you know what? The devil loves to have the good things take away from us the best things. As well as let the devil take the, use the bad things to take away from us the good things. And if the, and, and if the devil can keep you busy, and you know, it can be with good things. But regardless, if he can keep you so busy that you can't pray, or you don't make t- time to pray, he, he's being successful. And again, the acronym for, 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 you know, for busy is being under Satan's yoke. He loves to keep you busy and distracted so that you don't have time to read God's word. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to go to church. Or you don't make the time to do those things. Again, he he loves to use the good things to take us away from the best things. But Jesus wasn't taken away from his prayer times by the business of his ministry, by the works of his ministry. He didn't allow that time to be taken away. As a matter of fact, you know, he needed to get extra prayer during those busiest, busiest times. He realized that. We need to realize that. A lot of us, you know, if, if our work day was full of, you know, meetings and, and we had to do this and do that, and we had reports to write, or our, our business day was really filled with things that we needed to do, we cut, we cut our time in prayer. When actually it should be the reverse. Because I have so much to do in the day, I should spend more time in prayer, asking God to help me to to get things done and and, and to give me the time to get it done. Don't let the distractions of a busy schedule keep you from prayer because that's exactly what you need and when you need it the most. So when we read chapter 6 here, uh, you'll see that Jesus was treated very mean. I mean, we're only going to study the two verses that we looked at, 12 to 13. But when you read the chapter, and you know, read it on your own. You know, Jesus, like I said, he, he was treated very mean. Jesus was often criticized. He was often conspired against. Jesus had been having some very frustrating experiences with the leaders from Judea who followed his every step like bloodhounds hunting down an animal. And, you know, it's not any, like I said, it's not any different today. Jesus is criticized today. You know, he's conspired against. He's lied about. And, and you know, if, in, in the time that Jesus was on earth, that was very, uh, again, frustrating for him. And, and the leaders of the, uh, of the church, the, the, the spiritual leaders in that day, they just, they just kept following and hunting him down like an animal because they were looking for something to say about him that wasn't true or some way of catching him to, again, accuse him of the things that they were slandering him about. So again, they were criticizing him. They were harassing him with every move that he made. They were spreading lies about him as they do today. They, they, were, they were causing skepticism among the Galileans. 
nagging criticism seemed to be an everyday experience for Jesus Christ, the perfect one, who the Bible says went about doing good. And this kind of criticism is a terrible distraction when it comes to praying. Because you see, it so annoys the mind at times that you can hardly focus on anything, and especially when it comes to prayer. And yet when criticism distracts us, it's a time that we really need to go to prayer. Jesus was so exhausted and spiritually drained by the constant petty nitpicking that prayer was the only thing that he could do. It was the only thing for him to do. Nothing helps us so much to calm our spirit when we are dealing with undeserved criticism as spending time in the word of God in prayer. Listen to what King David said in Psalm 109, 2 through 4, when people were lying about him. Listen to what David said. He said, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. Listen to what he said. But I give myself to prayer. You know, we, we, what we want to do, we want to go get them. Say, hey, you know what? Shut up. Quit lying about me. Quit slandering me. What you're saying isn't true. You're ruining my reputation. And guess what? We end up making it worse. David didn't say, I'm going to go get even. He didn't say, I'm going to do something about this. He said, I'm going to give myself to prayer. That's the best way to handle rumors and gossip and things that are being said about you. You know what? Go to to God in prayer. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 164 through 168, he said, seven times a day I praise you, Lord, because of your righteous judgments. And he said, great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. In other words, the psalmist said, Lord, I hope for your salvation and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies and I love them very much. I keep your precious precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. The psalmist said, Lord, I love your word. I love your word so much. I keep your word. I obey your word. I love your word so much. He says, and he says, and he says, and everything I do, I, I, I set all my ways before you. You see, the devoted Jewish worshiper in these days would praise God and pray three times a day. But the psalmist in this particular psalm says that he went beyond that and worshiped seven times a day. Now, the phrase seven times here means often or many times or beyond what is expected. Now, the legalist would set a goal, would set a goal and the legalist would be proud that he reached it. Okay, he said, well, you know what? I'm going to pray seven times a day. And, you know, he'd let everybody know. Well, I prayed seven times today, you know. And, uh, but that's what the legalists would do. But the spirit-filled believer doesn't set any goal. They go beyond any goal that they might have set. And just as prayer can bring peace to our hearts, so can praising God, worshiping him, focusing on the Lord, Asking for nothing, because usually when we come to the Lord, it's Lord, I need this, I need that, give me, let me, give me, help me, and, and do all these things. But just coming to the Lord to praise Him, to thank Him, asking for nothing, totally lost in our praise of Him, that has a way of making our problems look smaller and the future much brighter. But you know what? Praise also helps us to have self-control in our Christian walk and to not stumble. 
or to cause others to stumble. The biggest distraction for Jesus was probably the conspiracy against him by his enemies. They were making plans to kill him. And this conspiracy of his enemies would be a huge distraction. And if Jesus was walking this earth today, they would be conspiring to kill him. The world hates Christ so much. So at a time like this, Jesus really needed to get away and he needed to pray. And that's what he did. Let's look at verse 12 again. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. Jesus took time out to pray. And it says here, he went out to pray. So it says he went out. It shows that this wasn't a group prayer. Nobody went with him. He was by himself. And the disciples didn't share in Jesus's interest in prayer until after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, a person who spends a lot of time in prayer won't usually find a lot of people to join them. You know, how many times do you ask somebody, hey, you want to go to church today? Uh, No, thank you. We can get people to join us in doing all the bad things in life. But you know what? When it comes to the good things in life, they don't want a part of it. Usually don't find a lot of people that will join you in prayer. Prayer meetings are usually the lowest attended of all services. Why? Praying is a spiritual work. And you know what? Our flesh is not interested in spiritual things. And for that reason, many professing Christians are walking in the flesh instead of in the faith. And prayer just doesn't interest them. If you want to live a separated life, be honest about prayer. And most of all, be serious about prayer. It will quickly separate you from the crowd. You'll often be alone in prayer, just like Jesus was when it came to dedicated prayer. We read here that Jesus went to a mountain to pray. Before this, Jesus went to desert and wilderness places to pray. But here it's a mountain where Jesus went to pray. And the significant thing about this mountain is that it gave Jesus a place of privacy for him to pray. Jesus chose this secluded place. He chose the seclusion and the quietness of a mountain to pray. Why? Well, first, to keep from being interrupted. Second, so that he might be able to pray out loud. And third, to avoid the appearance of doing it for show. On this mountain, Jesus was able to get away from the pressure of the people who were all crowded around him. And it's really hard to have a good time of prayer unless you have some quiet time, some privacy. In Matthew 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus exhorted us to pray in our prayer closets. All right? Not only to avoid the hypocrisy that there uh, naturally is in public praying, but to enrich the quality of our praying, believing praying, prayer. Finding a good place to have a regular time of prayer should be high on our list of priorities. Wherever you live, find a good, quiet place where you can go regularly and often to have a good time of communion with God and his word and in prayer. Man, prayer is basic. It's a basic thing to your spiritual health. It's like eating is a basic, uh, an essential to your physical health. You know, we eat every day to stay physically fit, to stay strong, to stay healthy. And it's the same with our spiritual life. We need the word of God. We need prayer to keep a strong spiritual life. It's the only thing that will do it. 
Again, it's basic to your spiritual health and your well-being. If Jesus needed peace and quiet for good times of praying, how much more do we need to be alone, to have that alone time, if we're going to have good times of prayer? So Jesus not only got away to pray, but it says here in verse 12 that he continued all night in prayer. Can you imagine? All night in prayer. When was the last time we spent all night in prayer? The words continued all night come from a Greek word used only here in Luke. Medical writers use it, use it of whole night vigils. Whole night vigils. Jesus continued all night in prayer to God. You know, you can't say that Jesus didn't have a passion for prayer. Because nobody prays for any length of time if they don't have a passion to pray. But what need did Jesus have that he should sacrifice rest and sleep like he did? I mean, he knew that his father always heard prayer, his prayer. Jesus even gave us a model of prayer that we could repeat easily in 30 seconds. Was his father not willing to hear from him? Or was it because Jesus couldn't bring his mind into the right spiritual attitude of prayer, so he had to pray for hours in order to get into the presence of God, in order to learn how to pray for one moment with real faith? Obviously, he didn't pray all night to God for any of those reasons. We might presume then that our Savior spent that long time in prayer as a pleasant meeting for himself with the Father. You see, Jesus loved to commune with our God and his God the Father. To Jesus, it was better than eating to do the will of him that sent him. So there's no doubt it was more soothing and refreshing than sleep for him to talk to his Father. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 147, I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. The psalmist here, he preferred prayer and the word of God over sleep. He gave up much needed sleep for much more needed devotion. Jesus praying and the father listening was such a oneness that was more delightful to Jesus than hearing all the angels' voices in heaven. But it wasn't just for enjoyment alone that Jesus prayed all night. His prayers were poured out from the depths of his heart into the heart of God. But you see, Jesus had a definite purpose for his all-night prayer. Prayer is not only delightful prayer. Prayer is not only delightful, but like I said earlier, prayer is hard work to do. You, you might think, how is praying hard work? You just start talking to God. It sounds like the easiest thing in the world. But, it's, but it's, it's hard to do. It's hard work. It takes passion to pray, even for a little while. But the wording here in, in Luke uh, 6.12 also stresses the passion of prayer. The words continued all night also expresses the persevering energy for this late night prayer. In the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were fighting against the Malachites, 
As long as Moses could hold his hands up to God in prayer, the Israelites would win the battle. But when Moses' arms got tired and they began to sink down, then the enemy began to win over Israel. Listen to Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, notice, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. That is, Israel would win the battle. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. That is, the enemy began to win the battle over Israel. But Moses' hands, notice, Moses' hands became heavy. So they, that is Aaron and Ur, took a stone and put it under Moses, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Ur supported Moses' hands, one on one side and on the other one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Moses was praying for the victory of God's people over the enemy. But it took long, and sometimes prayer is a long process, and it takes a long time before we hear the answer from God. That's why it can be such rigorous work in a sense. And we see Moses was praying, and as long as his hands were up, he was, Israel was getting the victory over the enemy. But when he started to get tired and they started to come back down, then the enemy began to get the victory. So here comes Aaron and her. Moses, we're going to hold up your arms so that we will get the victory. And they did. But see, it's a picture of the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, holding up each other's arms in prayer. Because we all have different needs. We all go through different struggles. Some are praying for healing. Some are praying for, for, you know, finances. Some are praying for for, for their marriage and, and their children, praying for various things. And it's hard sometimes. That's why it's important that we together lift up each other's arms for one another. Great example here by Moses, Aaron, and Ur. The passion required for long prayers shows the seriousness in praying. Seriousness in prayer is necessary if we want God to be serious about answering our prayers. Usually we're just, oh Lord, I need this, and we're gone. And then we just expect God to come right in and answer answer our prayers. In many of our prayers, we don't show very much passion. Oh, but we sure expect God to get all excited and and, and be passionate about answering my prayer. But it doesn't work that way. God will turn to us with the same attitude uh, that we have when it comes to receiving spiritual blessings. You see, praying all night shows the Lord's extraordinary passion in praying. But when somebody prays all night, there will be extraordinary things that will happen. And the Bible is filled with those life examples of things that that happened when people prayed. Praying all night again shows the Lord's extraordinary passion in praying. The Bible never tells us that Jesus prayed long prayers in public. The long prayers were always done in private. Long prayers in public are usually out of place and unfortunately, a lot of times like to do long prayers so that everybody can hear and everybody can see. Remember, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of that day for their long prayers in public. He called them hypocrites. 
You're only making these long, loud prayers so everybody can go, ooh, look how spiritual those people are. Luke tells us here also in verse 12 that Jesus, uh, that, that he continued all night in prayer to who? To God. He prayed to God. Jesus' prayers was directed to God, nobody else. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we are continually instructed to pray to God and God only. The psalmist said in Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord, notice, are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Psalm 50, verse 15, God said, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. The psalmist said in Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Jeremiah 33, 3, God said, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. These are just a few scriptures of the many scriptures in the Bible, including the New Testament, that encourage us to come to God in prayer. Not one verse ever says anything about us praying to anybody besides the Almighty God. No scripture even hints in the slightest way to pray to Mary. Or to pray to saints or Buddha or Confucius or any other spiritual figure. Praying to anyone but God is worthless praying. It will not do you any good. That that prayer will go nowhere. Jesus never prayed to anybody but God the Father. And we are not to pray to anyone but God the Father. Nothing and no one could ever or ever will replace God as the one that we should pray to. The epistle to the Colossians warns us to watch out for man's substitutes for God. And this world has so many substitutes for God. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 2, 8 through 10 uh, from the New Living Translation. Paul said, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. God is the only ruler. He's the ruler of every authority, every other ruler. God, we are complete in him. We don't need God plus. It's God, period. And one of the most common ways of keeping from going to God is by staying away from God in prayer. We stay away from God when we, stay, when we don't pray. In time of need, we often go to everybody else but God when we need help. And for a lot of people, prayer is a last resort rather than a first priority. And, or when every, every other option has failed... Then they try God. Many of the kings who rule over Israel and Judah, they would go to other nations for help in times of oppression to get help from their enemies. They usually went to everybody else and not God. And a lot of people like Asa, who was one of the kings of Judah, uh, 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 the Bible says this about him, 2 Chronicles 16, 12. It says, Asa was diseased in his feet and his malady was severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, as always, I got to make it clear. 
I am not saying it's wrong to go to the doctor when you're sick. God gave us the doctors. He's given us the technology and the medications today to help us. But the wrong is not going to the Lord God also. It's leaving him out. Like we leave him out of so many other things in our life. We need to be as quick to, to go to God in time of physical problems as we are to go to the doctor. Now, getting back to this all-night prayer of Jesus. His prayer was related to different situations. But the one that seems to be the most emphasized here is that Jesus prayed all night before he chose his 12 apostles. Now, the purpose of this special prayer and spiritual time with God was obviously associated with the choices that he was about to make from all of his followers who were to be specially set apart to do his work. There's a lot of people who say they follow Jesus. But in the end, when things get rough, he's, they're not there. Many said they followed Jesus until he got to the cross. And man, when he died on that cross, everybody took off. They wanted nothing to do with him. They wanted no association with him. And that's why Jesus now, choosing these 12 apostles, one of the most important decisions that Jesus would make in his lifetime, he spent in prayer. All night prayer. Now, you might wonder about the effectiveness of praying all night and choosing the apostles learning that one of them was going to betray him. And he knew it before he even picked him. Why would you pick him, Lord? Why'd you pick, why would you pick Judas Iscariot knowing he's going to betray you? Even, now, so again, you might wonder, well, you know, even praying all night, what's the effectiveness of it? Choosing the 12 apostles and one would, would betray you later on, Lord? So my people think, well, you know, even though Jesus prayed all night, he must not have prayed very well. Maybe he nodded out during a prayer, you know. Or can I really trust in the value of prayer? Now, I'd love to get into that on, the Moses, on Judas, but that's a whole different study there. So we just stick to, again, uh, Jesus' prayer all night. But those are the wrong conclusions that Jesus maybe didn't pray well enough or, or, or maybe you can't trust him in prayer. Not only do we need you see God's wisdom to make the right decisions, we also need the willpower to go through with the right decisions because maybe God will say, hey, you know what? You need to do that. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't understand that. I, I, I don't like that decision, Lord. But if God says that's the thing to do, then we need to be able to have the willpower to do it. There was no doubt that Jesus, who was very God, that is 100% God, he knew that, Jesus was, that Judas was going to betray him later on. And choosing Judas is a very fascinating decision, and it has puzzled a lot of people ever since Jesus did it. But here's the thing, God knows all things and we don't. And sometimes all the decisions that we have to make, they're not easy ones, are they? That's why we need to do a lot of praying and especially for those hard decisions in life so that we will make the right ones even if it's not to our liking. 
And even if it's difficult, choosing the 12 apostles was an extremely important decision for Jesus. Because these 12 men that were to be chosen from a huge crowd of followers would keep company with him. They would be trained by him to be some of the greatest spiritual leaders ever in the church. So it's especially important to pray about the major decisions in a person's life. Without serious prayer, you're not properly prepared to make major decisions and choices in life. Few decisions in the ministry of Jesus were as important as choosing his 12 apostles. So it's not surprising to read that Jesus spent all night in prayer before he made his choices. And if we would spend serious time in prayer about the important decisions in our life, I think we wouldn't have to spend so much time grieving over making bad decisions. Bad choices. How many nights have been spent crying, shedding tears that could have been avoided if one would spend nights in prayer or just some serious time in prayer about important decisions? Deciding on who the 12 apostles were going to be was a decision that would have tremendous influence on the whole world. And ever since then, that night that Jesus chose the 12 apostles, these men who were chosen to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ have, have affected multitudes, even here to this point this morning. It's because of those 12 apostles that we're here. In closing, many of the decisions that we make have a huge effect on other people's lives. Even more than we might ever know when we make the decision. And because we never know the final effect of our decisions that we make, a lot of prayer need to go into them. Praying all night before choosing the 12 apostles urges us to do some serious praying about who we decide to choose for church leaders, for board members. The leaders in the church have a tremendous influence on the church, on many lives. And many times when it comes to choosing leaders, a lot of churches, instead of praying, they play politics. Prayer is the beginning of the important steps in life. And we should give ourselves to special prayer when we're about to make any important decisions and changes in our life. Leaving home, entering into a business, choosing a profession, choosing the person I'm going to marry. God, is this the one that you want me to spend the rest of my life with? How many marriages end up in divorce and, 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 and people are sad and grieving because they didn't make the choice based on, on, on God's wisdom? It was an emotional choice. Moving, whatever it might be. We need to pray for those important decisions in life so that the temptations that surround our, our, our secular callings may not defile and degrade us and that our secular blessings might be in the highest sense a blessing to us. But of all of the most important decisions you will ever make in life is what you choose to do with Jesus Christ.
Will you choose for him or choose to be against him? Now, you might not come right out and say, well, I'm against him. No, but if you don't choose him as your Lord and Savior, you have chosen against him. There's no neutral ground when it comes to Christ. You're either for him or you're against him. He doesn't give us that luxury to walk the middle of the road or to straddle the fence. He said, you either gather with me or you're scattering abroad. It's important that we understand that. What will you do about Jesus? The worship team's gonna come up and lead us in a time of worship. And as they do, this is your time to make that decision for Christ. Again, the most important decision you'll ever make. So as we're worshiping, If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.